it is an honor to be here. It's a little surreal for me because um, I was a part of the team that uh, helped start this, this campus. And uh, I can honestly say that I contributed very little to what you see today. <laughs> In fact, when I um, started with the youth ministry here, I think we had maybe six or seven teens. And when I left, I think we had about six or seven teens. And Pastor Jermaine promptly took it over and within a couple months had it to like 30. So I, don't, I didn't do much to contribute to what you see today, but it really is a, a blessing to be here. Um, Pastor David and, and Megan are heroes of my wife and I. They have uh, poured so much into us. We actually lived with them um, for about a year prior to getting married. And they're amazing because the closer that I got to them, the more my appreciation for them grew. They really are the, the real deal, and, and you are a, a blessed people to have them as, as your pastors. Uh, it's funny because while I was living in that room um, in their basement, obviously a, a year later I got married, and then Larry Tankson, who's a children's pastor here, moved into that room, <laughs> and then he got married. And so Megan's brother, Richard, he got a revelation and he moved over from the room he was at to the room that me and Larry were in, and he got married. So if there's any single people here today, I'm just, I'm just saying I got a great place that she could stay that, you know. Let's go ahead and, and pray this morning. Father, we are we're grateful that you are God who speaks to us. And Lord, right now, I feel the need to have you empower me because without that, God, our lives will stay the same. And so, Lord, we need you to open our ears, to change our hearts, to open our eyes so we might be better stewards of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to answer a, a simple question today for you, hopefully, and that is why tomorrow when you wake up should you go to work? Now, I'm using that word work as kind of an all-encompassing word because I realize that maybe not everybody here works in the traditional sense of like a nine-to-five, but all of us have some type of work, whether it's staying at home with our kids and raising them up in the Lord, or whether it's going to a job in D.C., or whether it's a student at Nova or George Mason, or whether it's a retiree who is fighting to rehabilitate because of a chronic pain or praying for his or her family, loving them and caring for his family. All of us have some type of work. And so I want to ask just the question, why tomorrow morning, Monday morning, when you wake up, when, you, when your alarm goes off, should you be excited about whatever God has called you to do? Imagine if I had a, kind of a machine right here with a button, and it allowed you to come up, and instead of going to work tomorrow, you could hit that button and get a day's worth of paycheck. Or maybe if you're a student, you come up to that, that machine, you hit a button, and automatically what pops out is an A on the next quiz or, or test that you're about to take. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you can press that button, and you could ensure yourself that your kids would grow up as godly young men and women of God. Would you hit that button? All of us are thinking, yeah, that sounds, about, that sounds pretty good at this point. Um, but I wanna, I'm hoping that when we look at the word of God today, we'll see that you shouldn't hit that button. 
That's my goal, that we'd walk away with an understanding of why we shouldn't hit that button and why we're called to wake up every morning and work for the glory of God. The title of this message is Divine Partakers. Divine Partakers. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. We're going to be looking at the very beginning, the very first human Adam and his call to work. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read verse 7 and 8, and then skip to verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15 of Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Genesis, the first chapter, first and second chapter, outline God's creation. In the first day, um, God created light, night and day. The second day, he separated the waters from beneath and above, giving us the heavens and the earth. Third day, he created land and sea fruit and vegetation. The fourth day, he created the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets that we see today. Day five, he created the fish and the birds. And day six, he created the land animals. And then he gets to man. And it says in verse seven of Genesis two, the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground. And that word formed speaks of like an artist who is forming a piece of artwork or a potter who's forming a piece of clay into, into a pot. God took his time with man. There was care. There was a concern for every part of human beings, of Adam in particular. It's almost as if, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody paint or, or do some kind of artwork, but there's a relationship there. When you, when you paint something, when you sculpt something, there's a, there's a relationship, there's an intimacy with that piece of artwork because you created it, you formed it. God looks at Adam and this inanimate object that he's created out of the dust of the ground and he gets down and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And in that moment, it's very clear that Adam is different than any other creature or thing that God has created. There's an intimacy in which God has breathed his life and now man shares the very breath of God. Adam could look at his fingers that were formed out of dust. He could take in a breath and realize that his very existence was due to God. He shared in God's breath. And it's very clear, even for someone who's an atheist, while they may say from, the, from their mouth that, there's nothing unique about a plant compared to an animal. Go down to the Potomac River over here a few minutes away. And if you see a fly drowning in that river, you're not going to give it a second thought. But if you see a two-year-old boy drowning in that river, I don't care what clothes you have on, how much money is in your wallet, what kind of phone you just bought, you're going to dive into that river and save that child. Why? Because there's something different about us as human beings. We don't ask somebody who's choking if they're a Christian before we save them because humankind bears the image of God, bears the breath of God. There's something special about humankind regardless of whether they know God or not. My wife and I experienced this. Like Megan said, we have two children. 
And our youngest daughter just turned one, and her name is Willow. And she is a, she is a miracle child. Because when we first found out that we were pregnant with Willow, uh, we were told that she had something called hydrocephalus, which is fluid in her head. And the doctor who told us that she had hydrocephalus told us, you know, there's no way that she's going to survive. So if you care about her quality of life, you might as well just have an abortion. Because even if she's born alive, she'll never breathe on her own. She'll never suck on her own or swallow on her own or move her arms or legs. She may not even be born with limbs And for the safety of your wife, you should just have an abortion. And I remember being in that delivery room. She was born 10 weeks early because her head had gotten so big in her mom's womb that they had to deliver her early. And the chances of a baby with hydrocephalus surviving compounded with the fact that she was born 10 weeks early. The odds were slim to none that she would make it. And I remember being in that delivery room and First time when we had Josiah, there was just a routineness about the whole thing. The doctors were telling jokes. The nurses did their thing and left. But this time was completely different. There's 10 nurses over here. There's 10 nurses over here. There's doctors, and they pull out Willow. They put on her table, and for about a minute and a half, she's not breathing. And then all of a sudden, a nurse says, she's breathing. And everybody in that room, all at at once, exhale. And there's a recognition in that moment that this girl, even though they hadn't ever met her before, they had no relationship with her, there was something special about her because she carried the breath of God. And now, one year later, she's doing all the things they said that she never could do. Breathing on her own, swallowing, smiling, laughing. Since we shared the breath of God, the first question we should ask, whether we should hit that imaginary button or not, is this this really our life at all? It really isn't. Every time we breathe in a breath, it's a reminder that we were created in God's image and that we share his breath. This is, we are his workmanship. And we owe him our lives. So the question really is, would he have us wake up tomorrow? Would he have us work for his glory? Would he have us hit that button or not. Verse 8 of Genesis 2 says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Adam shared in the breath of God, but he also shared in the garden of God. And in that garden, Genesis describes every tree that is pleasant to the sight was there. God is the author and the originator of beauty. He makes things just to display his beauty. And I don't know if you've ever been to like the Grand Canyon But I remember being seven years old and having no appreciation for nature. My dad would say, don't the leaves look beautiful today? And I would say, I don't care about anything besides my Game Boy Pocket, really. But I remember as our family rolled up on the Grand Canyon playing my Game Boy Pocket and looking up at that canyon, and even as a seven-year-old who had no appreciation for nature, going, wow, God, you are beautiful. And this garden, there were trees that God created just for Adam to enjoy. Created trees and plants and fruit for Adam to be fed for his provision. That garden was the place that he was to draw life from. This garden was for God or for Adam. He created it for Adam's enjoyment and for his provision. 
And God has planted you in a garden to display his beauty and to provide for you. Your garden may look a little different than Adam's in that it's not paradise. But God has given you a place to work, a family to enjoy, a school to attend so that you might see his beauty in your garden and that that garden might provide life for you. Don't ignore a single tree. Don't go to work and faithfully give your life to your employer but not eat from the tree of your family. Not allow the the nourishment that comes from seeing children grown up in the ways of the Lord and a wife who loves God. Don't fail to eat from that tree. This couple, last couple months, as, as Megan mentioned, I'm the youth pastor at our Chantilly campus. And everything that we're called to has some kind of difficulty with it. And there are times that in tending for the souls of these kids and working with their parents and planning events, that it can be overwhelming. Perhaps your work or your school, you can identify with that. But I remember going to Mexico a couple weeks ago with many of your students went as well to Baja on a missions trip. And we had a young girl who just really went through a crazy last year. There, were, there was a time where she was far from God. God put it on her heart to come on this trip. And while she's in Baja, Mexico, she prays for a two-year-old who could not hear. And in a moment, God opened up that girl's ears and she could hear. And we're looking at her mom just weeping, seeing her daughter touched. And I realized that no matter how hard this youth ministry is, the things that God has placed in your life and my life, there's beauty in what God has called us to do. There is nourishment to our souls in the work that he's called us to do. We can't hit that button that imaginary button, because if we do, we miss out on the beauty of God. We miss out on God's provision for us. Don't quit on that teenager who's sleeping in and not coming to church. You'll miss the beauty of when he grows up fearing God, getting married, loving his wife, and training up kids in the ways of God. Don't quit on that angry boss, because you'll miss God moving through you to touch that boss's life. That was, that was in my notes before you said it, Shanique. So that was, I guess, straight for you and for everybody else who has an angry boss. <laughs> okay, she said she loves her boss, so we're good on that front. We share in the garden of God, just like Adam did. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Here, Adam shared not only in the breath of God, the garden of God, but the activity of God may come to a surprise to you that God was the first person who worked. Genesis 2, verse 2 says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. God formed the man out of dust. God planted a garden, chapter 2, verse 8. We see God intricately involved with his creation, working to create something beautiful. God keeping his creation allowing the garden that was in the Eden to provide water for the rest of the garden. He's feeding Adam with these trees that are producing fruit. God is working and he's keeping, and then he invites Adam to do the same thing, to share in his activity, to share in his very nature. Many of you all know Jared Green, who is a campus pastor 
at our Chantilly campus and who has spoken here before. He's a good friend of mine. And um, Jared and I live very different lives. We have very different personalities. He was a professional NFL player. I was a uh, JV basketball player, never won a basketball game. Um, But Jared was playing for the Raiders, and my wife and I had one car, and so he lent lent me his car, which is pretty funny because it was a burnt orange Chevy Avalanche raised up with sweet rims and blacked out windows, and uh, probably not the first car that I would drive around, um, but I remember pulling up into a gas station, and I saw this guy who was tatted up and had some sweet shades on. He's in this black uh, Escalade, and uh, he looks over at me, and I look over at him with that burnt orange avalanche. We just kind of give each other a nod of approval. <laughs> yeah, man, we got some sweet cars. But the difference was he owned his car, and I was borrowing mine. And God creates this garden, and then he allows Adam to share it. The beauty of God, the plants and the animals. He gives Adam the right to name these animals and to share in God's authority and his dominion. And Adam is perfectly suited for this task. In fact, in the original language, Adam is the word for man. And the ground is Adamah, meaning that Adam is perfectly suited for the task of working the ground because he came from dust. God had formed him for his work. And you and I have been given the responsibility of leading our children, working to provide for our family, studying at a university, being the light of Christ in the workplace that he's called us to, all because in this we share God's activity of working and keeping. What a privilege that God would entrust his creation to us. We share in the breath of God, the garden of God, and the activity of God. And at this point, you might be saying, well, that sounds great. I enjoy the fact that I have breath. I enjoy the fact that God has given me maybe a family or a place to work. But things are so hard. It feels like I'm going upstream when I have that teenager who's in rebellion or I have that coworker that we constantly butt heads The reason why is because of the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, many of you know the the story. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And in one moment, Adam and Eve sinned, and everything that they shared with God was broken. They lost the breath of God. It wouldn't die physically immediately, but God says in Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The very state that Adam was before God breathed into his nostrils was the state that he would return. He would lose that breath of God, and each one of us one day will die, and the breath of God will expire from our nostrils. But more tragically, we are Like Adam, after Adam sinned, we are born into sin. We are born not alive, but spiritually dead. No spiritual breath. 
Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam lost the breath of God. He lost the garden of God. He was kicked out. The very thing that God had entrusted him to protect and to rule over, to share in. Now all of a sudden, God drives him out, the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now instead of protecting and being a gatekeeper for the garden, he's being kept out by a new gatekeeper. He's lost the breath of God. He's lost the garden of God. And he's lost the true nature of the activity of God. Sure, he would still work and he would still keep, but now it would come at a significant price. God said to Adam in Genesis 3.17, pronouncing a curse on the ground, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now all of a sudden Adam's work was painful. Thorns and thistles he had to contend with when a day that he skipped working, now all of a sudden there's weeds growing in his garden. He goes out to do manual work that he had done over and over again before and now comes back dripping in sweat, a reminder of his sin and the separation from him and God. Now you and I, our work is tough. Our teens may rebel against us. Our marriage may fall apart. We drive to D.C. two hours in, two hours out. Churches split over division. Why? Because of the effects of the fall. And it might be easier because of what you're experiencing in your mind to hit that button and just have a paycheck come out, just have godly kids come out because you recognize that the things that God has called you to do, you want to do, but it's just so tough. And that's where many of us live today. We walk around Maybe if you don't know Christ, spiritually dead with no breath, or maybe complaining about our garden because in reality, it's a desert. We ignore our responsibility to work and tend our garden, watching the weeds overtake us. And you look at our friends and neighbors and coworkers and our own lives, there's a desire in each of us to breathe again. It's why... People who work in Washington bounce from job to job looking for the better pay or the better job, hoping that they'd experience the breath of God again. They don't know it's the breath of God, but they're looking for some type of life. Stay-at-home mom scans through Instagram pictures of women who appear happier, looking for what? Breath, life. There's got to be something better than this. The college student cheats on a test to get a better grade, where you look for breath in things that can't offer us breath. We want the comfort of the garden again to experience the beauty of God and the provision of God. And so a dad longs to return to the comfort of the garden through a website late at night when no one else is around. Or a mom looking for a two-year-old to finally behave so she can feel 
the comfort of feeling like she's a good mom or that college student who meets this guy who may not be a believer, but he looks pretty good. We want the goodness of the garden that was, wa- that was lost, and we search for it in all the wrong places. We want our work to matter again. So we're crushed when we're not promoted. We're left in tears when our two-year-old disobeys us for the hundredth time. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience. We're devastated when we fail a test despite the long hours studying. We're longing to share in the activity of God, but in things that can't fulfill us. And in our own inability to breathe when we're dead in our sin, and our own inability to enjoy when we've been kicked out of God's presence because of our sin, and in our own inability to work to keep the weeds from growing back and overcoming us, at that precise moment is when Christ stepped in. And Christ is the better Adam. In our, in, a, in our brokenness, in our inability to save ourselves, Christ, the better Adam, came down. And that is the gospel, that he came to restore the breath of God. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And he breathed his last breath. He gave up his last, last breath on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. And then looking at the disciples... In John chapter 20, verse 22, he breathes on them and and says, receive the Holy Spirit. See, he came to restore the breath that was lost to you and I. He came to give us that breath of God, that life of God once again. He breathed on these disciples and told them to do his will. And if you're here today and you don't know God, you're trying to figure out how to be a better person, wife or be a better mom or be a better employee without the breath of God. It's like asking a dead man to do tricks. You need the breath of God. You need the Holy Spirit and Jesus to breathe on you. And the only way you can experience that is by surrendering to God and allowing Christ to give you that gift of life. If you're a Christian today, today you know Christ Jesus has breathed on you so that you might live to his glory. I went to Virginia Tech, and my freshman year, I met a, a guy in my hall who didn't know God, but he enjoyed basketball, and so that was kind of our common bond. And we played basketball, and I talked to him about Jesus. And at the end of his semester, of the spring semester, he gave his life to Christ. And he invited his friends, none of which knew God, to a Bible study. His thinking was, well, Stephen, you're introverted and don't know anyone, and I know everybody, but I can't lead a Bible study, so let's tag team and let's do this thing. And so we gathered this Bible study, and it was the most preposterous Bible study you've ever seen. I mean, there were beer bottles on the coffee table. Guys would come wearing their underwear. Guys would put out weed as they walked into the Bible study. I mean, it was... It was a Bible study for, of the century in my, in my mind. I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know this was... I, I kept asking, why do you guys keep coming back? In between downing beers, I, I didn't understand it. And that's really when Pastor David and I, he really poured into my life because he would drive four hours from Sterling to Virginia Tech, help me lead a Bible study, and drive four hours back. That's the kind of pastor that you all have. One by one, as two guys who didn't know anything about how to lead a Bible study stumbled their way through 
discipling and sharing the gospel with these guys, one after one, they gave their lives to Christ. They put down the weed. They put down the beer bottle. I'll never forget one of the guys who was in a sexual, immoral relationship with his girlfriend. He got saved. His girlfriend got saved, and she started showing up to the Bible study. So it was a bunch of guys with beer bottles and, and her, and I was like, this is kind of bizarre. I wouldn't have drawn it up like this, but she's experiencing the presence and power of God, and she's going back to her campus and changing things, and it was clear that the breath of God was filling these young people, my peers. And that's the power of the gospel. Someone can go from a drug addict to a proclaimer of the gospel. Someone can go from a sexual and moral relationship to a marriage that's godly. One we had one guy who was a Christian in a group, but he fell asleep every Bible study. And he discouraged me more than all the other ones because I thought at least the other ones don't know any better. But I got a call from him two days ago. Now he's a chaplain of a co- company. He's paid literally to go to this uh, large company and do Bible studies, do drug rehabilitation with their employees. He's bringing life to a dark place because the Holy Spirit came inside of him. Jesus breathed on him. Christ came to restore the breath of God to you and I. And he came to restore the garden of God. And not in the same sense that, that Adam enjoyed the garden of God. The garden of Eden obviously is no longer here. Christ didn't come to pick us up and place us in a new garden, but he came to take what is our wilderness that we've created, our desert, and restore it and renew it so it becomes a place of his beauty, of his glory, and a place where we can eat from. And if you hit that button, metaphorically speaking, and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to go through the motions of my workplace or go through the motions of parenting my kids or go through the motions of schoolwork, who's going to bring the fruit of the Spirit into your workplace? Who's going to teach your children to taste and see that this garden is good, the presence of God is sweet? Who's going to bring the beauty of God into your freshman English class? Can't hit that button because God wants to restore your wilderness into a garden. Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the Christian's mission is to take God's purposes in heaven and Bring them down to earth where you and I live, in our gardens. Jesus came to restore our activity, the working and keeping. And as Christians, we live in the reality that Christ already completed the work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Meaning, no longer... Or it's, we can't work to be saved. That work has already been complete. That work of restoration has already been done. God has brought us to Christ if we will accept him. And he, re- he has restored that which is broken. But he has pre- prepared works for us to do. Not works to be saved, but works to bring his beauty and his glory to the world that we live in and the garden that he's placed us in. Ephesians 2.10, verse that we may not as be as familiar with, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has works that he had in mind for you to do in your garden to bring about his glory. 
And last week, one of my heroes preached here, Pastor Donnell, a man of great faith who's been laboring in D.C. and is an incredible preacher of the word. It's kind of a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, but after he finished preaching here, he drove over to Chantilly, just kind of on a whim. And my wife and I, our family was visiting, her, her family who lives in Chicago was visiting. And my father-in-law has had a bad back for about six years. And at the end of the service, he went up for prayer, and everybody at the front was busy praying for other people. But he wasn't supposed to even be at the service. He was supposed to be here and then go home. But he, he felt the Holy Spirit calling him to go. That there was a work for him to do. So my wife sees him. He's the only one that's not doing anything. She introduced my father-in-law to him, and he prays for my father-in-law's back. He walks down the aisle away from us, walks back with tears in his eyes because God had healed his back. But how many works that God has prepared for us go undone because we're not obedient, because we're not listening? How many lives remain unchanged because we're not being salt and light in the garden that God has called us to work? Christ came to restore our working and our keeping, our responsibility to tend to the field that God has given us. And if you hit that metaphorical button, you'll miss the good works that God has prepared for you in advance. See, you and I, we are divine partakers. What was lost has been restored through Christ, and because of Christ, we share in the God's breath in his garden and in his activity. And as we conclude our service today, we're going to take a moment to partake in the word of God in Christ who broke his body. He shared his body for us. He shed his blood on behalf of our sins. And it's his body and his blood that allowed us to share in the breath of God, in the garden of God, and the activity of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, Paul is talking about this moment that Jesus established to remember his body and his blood. And he says that we shouldn't come to this moment in an unworthy manner. So I want to just, in, one mo in this moment right here, ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And if there's any sin in your life, to... Take this moment to confess that to God. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this way for remembering Jesus' body that was broken on behalf of your sins. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink this juice remembering Jesus' blood that he shared with you on Calvary.
God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you have shared with us your breath, your garden, your work, that we get to be a light in dark places. We get to reign and to rule and to tend and to keep and to bring heaven down on this earth so that others might know you. So Lord, empower us. Empower us to be good stewards. Empower us to work not for your approval, but from a place of your approval so that others might know. In Jesus' name, amen.